Scripture today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 4. This is one I would suggest that you turn to if you have it on your phone or in a Bible in the pew because uh, I think it'll just be helpful to follow along as I preach right through the temptations of Christ. Matthew chapter 4, starting right at the beginning. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And he said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Here ends the reading of God's word. I've been thinking a lot about this story. There's a man that I read a lot of his books named Henry Nouwen. He wrote a book called In the Name of Jesus, a book really for pastors and Christian leaders. And what he does is he takes these temptations of Jesus and he talks about how these are the same kind of temptations that leaders and pastors go through. And so this has caused me to rethink this story a little bit in thinking about how Jesus' temptations are like our own, or at least more like our own temptations than we often realize. The context of this story is that it's the beginning of his ministry. It's right here in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus has just been baptized. So the Holy Spirit has come down and pronounced him uh, blessed, and we've uh, got this whole... uh, Amazing scene of Jesus being affirmed as the Lord. And then he enters 40 days of fasting. Now, 40 days of fasting sounds crazy to us. How many of you have even fasted a meal? A lot of people don't really fast unless they just don't have time for meals. Fasting is a lost art. That's a sermon for another time. But 40 days Jesus has been fasting in the wilderness, uh, probably drinking water, right? But not eating and losing a lot of his body weight and, and uh, goes through this great, great ordeal. And then in that moment, after the Spirit had led him out to the wilderness, uh, he gets tempted. Now we need to understand, this story happens on four levels, and I put them up on the screen so you can follow along. Okay, On one level, this story happens, and it's a temptation of Jesus. Well, how did the temptations all start? If you are the Son of God... If you are the Son of God, instantly Satan is trying to get Jesus to doubt who he is. He's just had it affirmed in his baptism, but now if you're really that one, why don't you, when he gives him something to do? Calls on Jesus to do something miraculous for his own gain. That's not what Jesus is supposed to do, right? 
He does miraculous things, but not for his own gain. The ministry of Jesus is one of sacrificing himself. He humbles himself to become flesh. And ultimately, as we will see, these temptations are really about taking away the humanity of Jesus. Why would you be hungry, Jesus? Satan's kind of asking underneath it all. Why would you be hungry? You're, you're the Lord. You don't need to be hungry. Just make bread. Why live into your humanity? Why be a person when you can just stay God? Satan is tempting him at the very core of his mission. Underneath that, we need to understand this story is mirroring Adam and Eve. Let me just read to you another temptation story, right? Satan said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be, de- to be desired to make one wise, she took it, took of its fruit and ate it, and also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Satan tempts Adam and Eve in very much the same way. The temptation to be like God. In fact, it's a temptation to eat in the first place, right? Fruit for Adam and Eve, bread for Jesus, but they're very similar. Jesus is, in this text, redoing the wrongs of Adam and Eve. And while Adam and Eve were at full strength, Jesus is fasting. He is weak at this moment. Adam and Eve are not weak when they go through it and fall. But Jesus really does undo what they did in the midst of temptation. And he's tempted in very similar ways to be like God. And we'll unpack that a little bit. Underneath of that, we've got to read this story as a parallel to Israel. Think about the comparisons here, right? Israel is in the desert for how many years? 40. Jesus is in the desert for 40 days. Each time that Jesus quotes from the Old Testament in response to Satan, he quotes from the same section. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6 through 8. Okay? He quotes passages in the Old Testament related to Israel going through the desert. There's lots of discussion about bread in the, uh, for Israel. It's a point of contention between God and Israel as they fight over the manna every morning. And so we'll unpack that a little bit. On the fourth level, I think this story really is symptomatic of us. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Text says Jesus is tempted the same way that we are. But that's interesting, isn't it? Because there's a lot of stuff that I'm tempted by that I don't think Jesus was in any way tempted by, right? Jesus was never tempted to steal on his taxes. Okay, he was never tempted to lie on his time cards at work. Okay, Jesus didn't have the internet and all the temptations that go along with the internet. And yet the text says Jesus is tempted in every way as we are. And so somehow these temptations of Jesus must reflect the temptations in our own lives. John has a really interesting way of saying this in 1 John chapter 2. He talks about for that, for all that is in the world... And he gives these three categories. For all that is in the world, 
The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from this world. And I think we're going to see as we unpack these a little bit that Jesus is tempted in much the same way that we are. So what I want to do is I want to take each temptation and look at it on all four levels. And we're just going to kind of walk through each of these. So the first temptation for Jesus is the temptation to turn stones into bread. You can imagine this is a pretty serious temptation, right? If you've been fasting for 40 days, you would love something to eat, right? It's Jesus' own hunger. But Jesus also has this care for the poor, right? Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't I love to be able to turn stones into bread and give them to people I know that are in hunger? It's the temptation to do things that are right in front of you, to fill the need. Jesus, Satan says to Jesus, in essence, you don't need to feel things like hunger. You don't need to be human. You can work through that. You can turn these stones into bread. Why would you go through feeling all this human stuff? In many ways, this is the same temptation of Adam and Eve. The temptation to not really be human, but to try to be like God. If you would just give in and eat the fruit, you want the fruit, you're looking at the fruit, it looks good. Why, get, why have, have all this hunger? Why listen to God? Why not eat? More than that, why not be like God? This is really interesting when you compare it to Israel. Who Israel, when they come out of the promised land, has to be reliant on God for food. Every morning they wake up and there's this manna on the ground. And the Hebrew word for manna is, is literally like a question. It basically means, what is it? That's what they called it. What is it? They go out in the morning and they gather up all the what is it in the baskets. And we, we have it sort of described as a bread-like substance, but we don't really quite understand uh, what that really was. But Israel doesn't want to wait. They don't want to rely on the Lord. So they beg and they ask for meat and they get quail. And very, very soon into the wilderness, they start talking about wanting to go back to Egypt. I don't want to be reliant on God. At least I knew where my food was coming from and I could have some control of it in Egypt. Which is a lie, by the way. They were slaves there. But still, I want to go back. I can't... Israel has this trouble trusting God with what they need right now. Can you see yourself in that a little bit? Isn't that often where we are tempted? What John calls the desires of the flesh. I want something. I'm hungry. I need something now. Don't we have trouble seeing past what we want right now? I see it in my kids. They don't want to clean their rooms because they say it's going to take them forever. It won't take you forever. It'll take you an hour. But when you're 10, an hour is forever, right? You can't see past this. And, And I know a lot of adults that are really the same way. They don't want to wait on anything an hour. They don't want to wait on McDonald's food four minutes. I've seen them get mad in line, right? How often are we tempted because we don't want to wait? Because we don't want to save up for something. We want it now. So we're tempted to steal. We're tempted to cut corners. We're tempted to give in to right now. What I want in my flesh right now. I don't want to wait on God. I really want to be God. I want to have that kind of control in my life. I don't want to submit How many times are we tempted to steal because of that? How many affairs happen just because the adventure of a fling I can do right now is a lot easier than a a marriage I have to work on over a lifetime? 
How many things do we do in anger just because we want something now and we don't want to wait? Well, what does Jesus say to this? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Notice, first of all, who's Jesus say? What's the quote? Man shall not live by bread alone. You want me to act like God? I'm, I'm here as a man and I'm going to feel this. But bread alone is not just it. It's not just what we want right now. We have to learn to trust God in the long run. Adam and Eve wanted their fruit. Israel wanted their immediate needs met. Because it's difficult to trust God that what I want right now isn't everything. The second temptation. Jesus is tempted to, to go, he goes up on this pinnacle and is told to throw yourself down and the angels will catch you. If you go back and look at that verse that Satan's supposedly quoting, he's misquoting the same way he does for Adam and Eve. You need to understand, to understand this temptation, you have to understand the idea of stoning. We think of stoning as taking stones and throwing them at somebody. And sometimes you would do that. Sometimes stoning would happen in a pit where you could throw or roll stones down. But stoning also was the word for th- doing the opposite, throwing a person onto stones. Actually, that's the much easier way to stone someone. That's a form of execution. Okay? So when Jesus says, throw yourself down and, and be saved by the angels, Jesus is tempting, Satan is tempting Jesus with surviving capital punishment. Now imagine that for a second. What is Jesus coming to do? <laughs> to die on a cross. The temptation is a temptation, not just about stones, not just about throwing yourself and being saved, but it's also a temptation to avoid the pain of the cross. Avoid it. Don't go through it. Be like God and avoid it. It's also the temptation to be, do something spectacular. Wouldn't Jesus have gotten really popular if people had seen him do this? Throw himself down, get saved by angels? But Jesus is not about gaining popularity. He's not about taking the easy road out. He's about sacrificing. That's his purpose in this world. He's not trying to do something miraculous. Not trying to know, uh, to be known or to be impressed by others. He's not trying to avoid dying. He's heading there willingly. But Adam and Eve, this is the temptation, right? They want to be like God. They want to know more. They want to see the world as God does. This is the breaking point for Eve. You can tell in the discussion, she's looked at the fruit before. But she never really thought about being wise like God is. She never really thought about being like God. Satan gets her to want to be wise. And Adam and Eve are no longer satisfied with God's provision and care. They want to do it themselves. This is exactly the problem Israel runs into, right? They don't want to trust God. They want to do it themselves. You remember the debate in the Old Testament about Israel and a king? Israel looks around at all the nations around them and they say, look, everybody else has got kings. We want a king. And the the prophet says, no, 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 God is your king. You don't want a king. You don't want all the stuff that goes with a king. But they want a king. They want to rule themselves. They have a tendency to think not only that they don't need God, but almost to forget. In the Old Testament, every few generations, they sort of even forget that God saved them in the first place. Like we did that ourselves. They want to copy their neighbors instead of following God's will. And can't we see ourselves in these descriptions? The desire to be God. 
The desire to do something spectacular on our own without God. To not have to trust. To be popular and impress others. How many times are we tempted with these things? To do something great. To not need God. To impress. How often do we covet what our neighbors have? Do we want to look wise? Do we want to look special? And we want to do it now so we cut corners to get there. John calls this the desire of the eyes. That you see and you just have to have. Like, like Jesus standing up on that pinnacle. Right? You can do this great thing. Well, what does Jesus say? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Who's the Lord God? He's the Lord God. Don't test him. You can trust him. You can trust that his plan, it may not, it may not seem like the best thing. It may not seem like you what you want. But you can trust that God has the world's best interest at heart. And you better hear this. That doesn't mean it's your best interest. God has a lot bigger perspective than you do. And maybe God has a, a, something he wants you to sacrifice for. To give up for. Because he's got this bigger plan going. You can trust God. You don't have to do something spectacular. and You don't have to do it all yourself. Third temptation. The devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to, said to him, all these things I will give you if you will follow down and worship me. I'll give you the kingdoms if you just bow. Sacrifice your ends. Sacrifice your means to get your ends. Right? Jesus is there to win all these kingdoms back, remember? I will let you do this without suffering. Without having to go, just bow. Just bow. Of course, it's a lie. If Jesus bows, then the kingdom will not be his. This is the temptation for power without sacrifice. Have the power, but don't sacrifice anything. Satan will give up the world. No sacrifice necessary if Jesus will bow. This is Adam and Eve all over again. Satan lies to them too. And they buy it. And they end up bowing to Satan's advice rather than God's instruction. Israel itself has a problem with idols. They have a problem with bowing to the wrong thing. Right away in the Exodus story, they go out into the desert. Moses goes up to spend time with God. In the meantime, they build a golden calf, right? Right away. They want to have something more real and more tangible to worship. Why do they want that? I think part of the reason is that when we have something real and manageable to worship, to give to, to sacrifice to, and we know we created it, then ultimately we don't have to listen to it or sacrifice for it. Ultimately, if I made the golden calf, then when I worship the golden calf, I'm worshiping myself. Now, we don't have idols the same way in our world today, not not that most of us are in touch with. But I think we do get idols like this. We get these things in our lives that we think, oh, this is what's going to fix me. This is what's going to take me to the next level. If I had this car, if I had this job, if I had this level of income, if I had all... And how many temptations do we fall into trying to go after stuff we think are going to be like idols for us? We bow to them instead of bowing to God because we think that's the fastest way for us to get the power and the authority that we want. And how many of our vices, how many of our temptations are really boiled down to power? If I have the money... If I have the dominant position in the relationship, then I have the power and I have the control. But what does Jesus say? 
You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Not bowing to anybody else. Not bowing to yourself. I'm going to submit to God. I'm going to submit to God in everything. He's the Lord God. I'm not. The things that I put all this, this, my bank accounts, my relationships, who knows me, how I dress, what I drive, all these other things. Those aren't God. Those are false gods that we bow to, that we sacrifice for, and they're not going to get us there. So I think this story is pretty complex. I think this story is working on a lot of levels. And I would encourage you this week, pick up the story a couple times throughout the week and read it again on these four levels and see what other kind of parallels you can find. Here's the good news. The good news is, number one, that Jesus goes through the temptations for us. This is part of his saving work for us. That he comes and he's human and he feels all the temptations that we do. But he doesn't sin, and that means he can go to the cross and be a sacrifice and undo all the sin we've ever done. So the great news is that you've got this thing called grace, that if you feel tempted this week, or if you fell into temptation last week, there is grace for you, because Jesus fought it. But the other good news is that in Christ, we have the power to face temptation. And I think Jesus models it for us in this passage. First of all, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit out into that. Okay, we don't, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough, but it, it, it's all over the Bible. It talks about the Spirit, and here you have the Holy Spirit leading Jesus. And it's the same Holy Spirit that leads Jesus that leads you, that whispers in your ear when stuff comes up, that speaks to you in your prayer time if you would learn to listen and to watch for His leading. Number two, you see Jesus answer with Scripture. For Jesus, the Bible is so much a part of how he thinks that he can just, who? No, here's, here's the scriptural principles that are against what you're saying to me, Satan. Do we know our Bible is that much? Are we in our Bibles that much that it's so much a part of our thinking that it comes out when we're in these moments of temptation and weakness? Or is the last thing that comes out when we're in temptation and weakness? Are there other words and other actions that come out instead of scriptural ideas? Number three, I think he continued to trust God instead of doing things himself. That's the kind of trust that we proclaim on Sunday morning that we sing about. Jesus yields to the will of the Father instead of temptation. And sometimes avoiding temptation is just that. I can't can't do that temptation because, you know what, it's going to distract me and keep me away from God's will and God's purpose. Do you know what God's purpose is in your life? Are you seeking to follow it? If you're going in a certain direction, it's much less tempting to pull over if you've got a place where you're trying to go. Last, I think he, he told Satan to get behind him or to be gone. The author, the author in the Old Testament, Jesus' brother James, tells us to flee temptation. If you're in a place where there's a lot of temptation, don't be in that place. Don't be there. Don't be there. If a computer is tempting to you, don't be on it late at night. Okay? If you get into fights when you hang out with these certain people, don't hang out with those certain people. Flee temptation. Get away from it. What Jesus says to Satan is, be gone. Get out of here. Get behind me. When temptation is behind you and you can't see it, it's a lot easier to avoid. But when it's right in front of you all the time, it's really hard to avoid that. 
I think this is a pretty good plan that Jesus gives us for dealing with temptation. I encourage you this week to wrestle with this text a little bit more. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you are our Lord and our God. Forgive us that we're so often tempted to cheapen that, to go after things that we can control instead of humbly submitting to you. Be Lord in our lives, we pray. Amen.